Happy Mother's Day. Today, we have the privilege and honor to hear from Leslie Leyland Fields. She is a teacher, speaker, and a multi-award winning author of 12 books, including Your Story Matters, Finding, Writing, and Living the Truth of Your Life, The Wonder Years, 40 Women Over 40 on Aging, Faith, Beauty, and Strength, Crossing the Waters, Following Jesus Through the Storms, the Fish, the Doubt, and the Seas, and Parenting is Your Highest Calling, and Eight Other Myths That Trap Us in Worry and Guilt, among many other books. Leslie has three graduate degrees, is a founding faculty member of Seattle Pacific University's MFA program, and she's taught literature and creative writing at the University of Alaska for 15 years. Oh, and you know what, if that's not enough, she runs a week-long writing workshop and retreat at one of the remote Alaskan islands where she lives. Her guests have included Anne Voskamp, Philip Yancey, and Scott McKnight, among others. She and her husband, Duncan, have six children. Yeah, you heard me right. Six children, one daughter and five sons, and they love smoking salmon in Alaska. She was supposed to be with us in person this weekend, but unfortunately, her daughter decided to have a baby this very week. Bad timing, right? <laughs> All right, okay, you know, maybe it's unfortunate for us because she's coming to us via video instead of being with us in person, but you know what? She has made the right decision because she's there for the birth of her grandson this past week. And you know what? I think to that, every parent and grandparent here is nodding in approval, right? She's made the right choice. Well, in today's message, she is going to address questions about control and why it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of control. For parents, she'll explain why it's so natural to want to control our children and for non-parents, what control looks like in the relationships of our lives. She'll be answering questions like, uh, what is parenting really all about? Uh, why are my children here? And how can I be a God-honoring mother, father, aunt, uncle, or grandparent? And she'll be doing all of this by walking us through a profound story in the book of Judges. All right, now without further delay, Here's Leslie Leyland Fields. So as a parent, um, as a mother, I, I had so many struggles and so many challenges. Um, my husband traveled often and uh, I live on an island in Alaska. I actually live on two islands. And I had these six kids on an island during the summer. It's a wilderness island. Um, nobody lives there but us. It is literally our own island, but there's, you know, there are no roads, there's no cars. You can't throw your kids in the car and drive to the mall on a rainy day. No, you are there. You are there. And in the wintertime, I live on another island, a larger island. There are a few roads there, but, um, our weather is terrible. Winters are dark and cold. You guys know about that. Right? So it was a lot of indoor time. And ah, there were days that I thought I would lose my mind. And there were days that I did. So let me take you to one of those days. Um, it was a school morning, of course. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen on Saturdays, right? I guess it also happens 
on Sundays trying to get to church, but trying to get six kids up, dressed, fed, make lunches, you know, out the door, get homework. And, and you know what happens, right? There's always the one who can't get out of bed and the one who lost his shoes and the one who lost his homework and the one that won't eat and the baby is crying. And two other brothers are just, it's an all out fight and the soundtrack, right? It's just noise and chaos. And then the mother trying so hard to keep this together and to get everybody in the car. So by the time I drop them off at Christian school, it's kind of like, get out of the car and go and learn to be a better Christian. You know, your clenched teeth. That, this is a, this is a particular day that I'm talking about. That day, everybody was dropped off. I went into the spruce forest near my, um, near my home. And I just cried out to God. And um, you know what I said? I said, God, where is the peaceful, happy Christian home that I thought we would have? Where are you in this mess? Why don't I have more control over my kids? And, and, and God, what do you know about parenting anyway? I, I really said that to God. Um, and the moment I said that, it hit me. Wait, of course you know about parenting. I'm your daughter. And I'm not a really great daughter. And Israel. And suddenly I remembered that God called Israel my, my firstborn son. And that um, they, they were all his sons and daughters. And I thought about what his relationship was like as a father to those sons and daughters. Wow. And I suddenly realized that the whole Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is a record of God's life as a father, as a parent. And that he's, you know, the God of the cosmos, the God of all reality. And he could have any parenting relationship, you know, that he desired being sovereign and all. But his relationship with Israel, his firstborn son, was so full of love, yes, unending, patient love, but also such heartbreak and frustration. <laughs> and I saw that God's life as a parent and God's relationship with his children was a lot like mine. Um, like ours, filled with so many emotions, including heartbreak and frustration and even anger. Whew, that changed my life. That gave me so much hope and a whole new lens to bring to my parenting and all my family relationships. 
See, I realized, oh, now I can look at all of the scriptures to learn about relationships and to learn about parenting, not just one or two verses here and there pulled out of context, which has been very typical um, of a lot of Christian teaching. And that realization saved my life as a parent and saved my kids' lives too, I'm sure. And again, if, um, if you think, hey, I'm not a parent, this isn't for me, it is, it is, okay, hang on, hang on. There is some, there's some truth coming for, for you too. So let me ask you a question, um, those of you who have children or who work with children, um, have children in your lives, what, what, what's the one thing that you want most for your child, for your children? What's the quality that you value most and that you want to foster in your children? So I'll let you think about that for a minute. I asked this in one of my classes um, at church, and a father of eight kids responded immediately and firmly. He said, obedience. And then he qualified it. Instant obedience. I get that. I grew up in a family, my parents were believers, but my mother too required instant obedience. And that was the highest good. And I understand that we want that because parenting is hard and it's so much easier when your kids obey you instantly. And we want that because God asks us to obey him. So that, that, that's good, right? And that seems like a good measure of our success as parents. So um, how do we make that happen? Uh, we create a lot of rules and boundaries. We have strict discipline. We don't tolerate disrespect, right? And there are all kinds of books that give us parenting methods, parenting systems and rules, and sometimes they're even based on a kind of a stimulus response behaviorism. And often they're based on that verse in Proverbs that many of you know, Proverbs 22, 6. You know it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it sounds like the enterprise is this. We just have to figure out how to train up a child and the way you should go. And then if you do that, he, when he's old, he won't depart from it. <clears throat> So, okay, if we just create the right environment, the right conditions, and for the right kind of parents, our kids will turn out the way we want, the way we hope, um, which as believers means we want them to um, believe in Jesus and, uh, and follow him. But this whole idea that we can um, mold our children to be just what we want to turn out just the way we want them to. That's been around for a while. There was a, um, a very famous psychologist in the 1920s named John Watson. And he very famously said, if you give me 12 babies, 12 random healthy babies, and allow me to completely control their environment, I can turn 
anyone I want into that one a lawyer, that one a doctor, that one an artist, that one a mechanic, that one a beggar, that one a thief. And he was positive that this was possible. And it's the idea that a baby comes into the world with a tabula rasa, right? A blank slate. And that if we simply just completely control that environment, we can make our children's Christians. So we've kind of bought into that behaviorism. I think as Christians, we've really bought into that. So the question that I'm really asking right now, it's a pretty big one. We're asking, why are my children here? What is, what is parenting really all about? And how can I be a God-honoring mother, father, aunt, grandparent? Um, great question. <laughs> and I'm going to answer it with a story because that's what Jesus did all the time. Um, it's a story from the... Old Testament. It's a long story. I'm going to compress it. Um, and it's a story that's familiar probably to some of you. So it begins here. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, I love this, you are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. <gasps> okay, we have, to, we have to get this, right? They're infertile, they long for a child. This is, you know, their hope and their dream. And, and now God has heard their prayers and is gonna bless them with a child. Like, oh my goodness, what joy they must have felt over that. The angel's promise, though, came with an admonition. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor, you know who this is, may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Oh my goodness. This is so exciting. And the angel comes back a second time. And um, this time he appears to Mr. Manoa, to the husband. And he repeats those same instructions. And then Manoa and his wife are so grateful that the angel has come. They, um, they, uh, present a burnt offering to him. And as the smoke from the fire goes up, the angel of the Lord ascends with the smoke. And then the husband and wife fall to the ground and they say, we are doomed to die. We've seen God. Wow. You can imagine the expectations they had for this son. Not mean. It would, it would have been exciting enough just to be having a child, but this child sent by God with a purpose and a mission, this special child. Wow. So, um, 
they they follow God's instructions um, exactly. They raise him just as he instructs them. They follow the Nazarite vows. They don't cut his hair, and um, and um, Samson grows up. And the first words that he speaks, that we hear him speak in the story, are kind of shocking. He's a young man now. He wandered down to a Philistine town and he saw a woman there that he liked. And he comes back to his parents and he says, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Ooh, what a disappointment. What a disappointment those words would have been. Um, because the Philistines are not, you know, the nice next door neighbors. They are the enemies of the Israelites and they're, they're uncircumcised, they're idolatrous, they're violent. And Samson is asking his parents to do something that violates God's own law against marrying foreigners. And Samson's parents are dismayed, of course, but um, they do it. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole story of Samson. A lot of you know the story, and it's not really a happy story. Like, his life just kind of seems to follow this downward path, right? His, um, his first wife, that wife, was burned to death over a dispute he spends the night with a prostitute. The next woman he's with, Delilah, is another Philistine, and she's not his wife. And she plots to kill him. Remember that? And um, he finally reveals to her the secret of his strength. Remember his long hair. And when he reveals that secret to her, um, she cuts his hair, and he's immediately captured and his eyes are gouged out, and he's set to grinding wheat like an ox. But there's one final moment, one final hurrah. He calls on God one last time. Remember, he's at this Philistine festival to their God, and they're celebrating, the Philistines are celebrating the victory of their God over Samson's God. And he's brought out for entertainment. And Samson stands there between the pillars. His hair has grown back. And he calls on God one last time for strength. He calls on God for strength. And of course, he just pushes those pillars. And the whole portico collapses. Samson and thousands of the Philistines die. Ooh! Sweet story. <laughs> Not quite snuggly bedtime reading for our little ones. And right now you're thinking, this is a weird message for parents. This story just sounds like tragedy and bad news. And it does seem like that, right? I mean, if Samson's parents were alive, um, when, when he was captured and when he died, how painful that must have been and how confusing. I mean, remember, this was a God-sent child. And their son had so much potential. Remember, you know, his strength, 
Samson strength. He was the only man in thousands of years of biblical history with such bodily strength, fueled by the Holy Spirit himself, right? Yet it seems like he wasted it. And his parents, how could his parents possibly feel good about how he turned out? And they must have thought, man, we must not have raised him right. We blew it. But wait, it's not the end of the story. The end of the story, literally, the last sentence in the story of Samson is, he had led Israel 20 years. Those six words at the end of Samson's life and story, they take us back to the angel's prophecy before his birth. That's exactly what the angel said he would do. Even in the tragedy of his death, God's purposes for the entire nation of Israel were met. Samson was a judge over Israel for two decades. And Samson led Israel through those very hard years um, when they were under the oppression of the Philistines. And he was a living example of what one man filled with the Holy Spirit could do. Yes, his life was full of wrong choices and compromise, bad motives and anger. We can't escape that. But there's one more thing. You know that Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, where there's a list of the powerful men and women of God who accomplished great things for the kingdom of God? Samson is in that list. Yeah, he is. All the other people in that list, you should... I, Go and look at that list sometime, would you? Every one of the people in those lists, um, they came from really messy backgrounds. I mean, Moses. Who did God choose to raise Moses? A single pagan woman, Pharaoh's daughter. Single, pagan. <clears throat> Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. <sighs> kind of rocks our world, doesn't it? Wouldn't you expect God's spiritual heroes to come from model homes, from strong, believing families? Hmm, but they don't. These are the men and women that God commends as spiritual heroes. Yeah, they, they weren't perfect. And they made mistakes. But in the whole arc of their life, God judged them faithful. So what does this mean for us 3,000 years later? Do whatever you want. No rules at home. Go out with the girls for martinis and margaritas every afternoon while your kids are at daycare. Uh, dads hanging out with their buds down at the pub every Saturday night. No. No, of course not. We have to go back to the monos for a minute. I left out a few parts that are going to help us. When the angel appeared to the Manoas with the news that they're going to have a baby, this special child sent from God. Do you know what Mr. Manoa did? Um, he, he did what all of us would have done. He fell to his knees and he prayed, oh Lord, I beg you, I 
beg you, let the man of God that you sent to us, let him come back and teach us how to bring up the boy who was born. Right? He's saying, okay, you're giving us his son. Great, but could you please send an instruction manual with him? We don't know how to do this. And God heard that prayer and he sent the angel back. And Manoa asked the angel again. Here's exactly what he said. When your words are fulfilled, when the baby comes, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? In other words, again, give me some directions, some guidelines. Give me a program. I got to be in control of this. Of course, he wants to do right by this child. Same with every one of us, right? And you know what the angel said? Ah, not what he was hoping for. The angel simply repeated what he had said to Mrs. Manoa that first time. This is what he said. Your wife must do all I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I've commanded her. That's it. That's all God has to say to the terrified parents to be. Nothing about how to raise a child. What is this about? All this stuff about food and drink. You know what it's about? It's about their hearts. It's about the orientation of their hearts. Don't forget, they didn't have Trader Joe's or Safeway down the street. They spent much of their day, much of their time in in gathering food, in in hunting, in preparing food, in tending the animals. And every moment through all of those activities, both of them had to choose to surrender and follow the Lord's commands rather than their own appetites and desires. And they had to begin on this together. So here it is. This is how God prepared them for parenting, by calling them into a deep, daily, dependent relationship with himself. And you know what? That's the pattern through the whole Old Testament. God did give rules to his people, to us, to the Israelites. He gave the Ten Commandments. He gave the instructions for feasts and sacrifices and provisions for the forgiveness of sin. He gave rules about food and health and and so much more. But listen to this. Those laws and those rules were never meant to be ends in themselves. They were and they are a means of knowing God, of learning about his character, his holiness and his love. And it's about entering into a deep relationship with him. What does God want from us as parents, as grandparents, uncles, and as husbands, as wives? What does he ask of us? He's not asking us to be successful. He's asking something else. And you already know what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. That's it. Anything more?
Yeah, one more thing. And love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor. That, that's your kids. That's your family. And anyone else in front of you that needs your help. The order here is everything. The most important thing that you can do as a parent, a husband, a wife, a grandparent is to hunger after God, to pursue him, to love him, to be in daily relationship with him. And that's it. I know, um, it's not the answer we want. Should I let my 12-year-old have a cell phone? How do I get my two-year-old to come to me? What can I do to make sure my kids come to know Jesus? We are such human doers. We want our kids to love Jesus and give them their hearts, right? We want to be in control of that outcome. But we're not. God's in charge of that. We are in charge of ourselves and in charge of loving God with all we've got. And we're in charge of loving our kids with the love that God himself gives us. Do you hear the good news in that? This is good news. This is really good news. First, that weight of, I've got to do everything perfectly. If, if, I, if I want my kids to follow Jesus, I've got to create this perfect Christian home. I've got to have every piece in place. I've got to get my kids to Sunday school and Awana and and. Yeah, those are good things, but oh, let that go. That pressure, that yoke of perfectionism, let it go. Our limitations, and we're all limited, we're all imperfect, and we always will be. Our limitations do not limit God in any way. My father was an atheist. My mother, not a Christian. My home life growing up, terrible. Um, very little love, no joy, just a lot of work and a lot of poverty and despair. And guess what? That's what God used to bring me to himself. Mm, life is going to be messy. It is, right? It already is. And and yeah, you're going to have meltdowns on school mornings. You're going to mess up and your kids are going to mess up. You might be dealing with disabilities. You might be dealing with mental health issues with your kids, maybe with drugs, maybe with addictions, alcohol, maybe gender identity issues. I've been there. This is the world that we're raising our kids in. And I know gonna, your kids are going to get in trouble. Mind it. And sometimes you wonder if you're going to survive, as I did so many times. Five boys. Five boys. But the great thing about all that is that you keep, it keeps you needing God. And it keeps you crying out to him. It keeps you thanking him for all the ways that he keeps loving and rescuing you and your children day by day, whether they're toddlers or teenagers or adults. And you know what? It's going to be a glorious mess. And your kids are going to grow up and you're going to be friends with them and you're going to keep on loving them whether they choose to follow God 
or not. That's in God's hands and their hands, not yours, not mine. But maybe, maybe you're really tired right now. Maybe you're thinking, I just don't have that kind of love and endurance. I'm running out. I'm single parenting and I'm exhausted. May I end with a prayer for you from Ephesians 3 and, and for all the mothers and the fathers here, and for the husbands and the wives, for the grandparents, for all of us in messy family relationships and wondering, can I really do this? Do I have enough love? to get me and my kids through these years. Listen to this prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, mothers and fathers, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God promises you this, this kind of love that he's going to give you. And that love, that love will be enough, more than enough for your children and your family. He has done it.